Alex Brownsville is the leading hairstylist and visionary colorist behind Bleach London, the cult hair salon and product range focused on coloring hair. From styling for British Vogue, Gucci and Celine in her 20s to having her brand stocked all across the UK, Alex's story is a must hear. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs about some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Sable and Me, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, as I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other, and it can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now without further ado, it's delight to welcome our guest for today, Alex Brownsville. She's one of the industry's most notable hairstylists, counting Gucci's to lead and Hermes, as well as Florence Welch and Alexa Chung as her clients. Her work is instantly recognizable for its signature Technicolor beauty and regularly featured across major fashion publications, British Vogue, ID, and Dazed. Alex was also known for leading the Dip Dye Revolution and co-founding the cult hair salon and at-home hair dye brand, Bleach London. Since her introduction into the industry at the age of 16, Alex has gone on to launch three salons, innovating ever-expanding vegan product range and interactive salon services, and mark a new era in DIY and digital beauty. I'm so excited to sit down with her today. So Alex, thank you for being with us. Bye. Thanks for having me. Very exciting. Me too. I, I mean, I asked all my guests the same question, so I'm curious to know your answer. But who, in a nutshell, is Alex? Oh my God, that's difficult. <laughs> um, I don't know. Somebody loves playing with hair. <laughs> I guess. Love that. But defining qualities has to be that a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? If you're a founder, I guess. It does. You would know that. Especially a hair, especially a hair founder. <laughs> I, I know I know things to do about loving hair. So yeah. <laughs> Did that start from a child? Like, you know, what were you like as a child? Did you have an obsession with hair as well back then? I've actually been unpicking this in therapy recently. So an interesting answer. So my mum is a hairdresser and she owned a salon. She was a founder too. So a small salon in a town called Daventry. Um, And actually she took on her shop, I think I was about seven or eight. And she was in there a lot. So I started working in there when I was 12, so I could see her on the weekends. I lived with her, obviously, but because she was there the whole time and she was great and she's, I thought she was, well, I still do think she's the coolest woman of all time. I wanted to be around her and be in her world more than I was getting the chance to. So actually I started my salon career at 12. I wasn't, I wasn't touching clients' hair for the first six months, but I started shampooing which is step one. So sweeping up is step, step one and making tea. Step yeah. two is shampooing. Then that does yeah. take a while to master. You know that. Yeah. Um, so I have had an obsession with hair from a very young age. And I think that's the way with a lot of session hairdressers and hairdressers in general. Um, lots of people seem to have started young and through family. Um, and I don't actually have a memory of not messing around with hair. So... 
I mean, I obviously have memories of not messing around with her, but I don't have in my mind, I can't think of the start point because it would have been. Yeah, it, it's always been in a way, right? Well, as you grew up in a household that had hair as well, I completely understand. It's the same. My dad's in duty, and people ask me, when did it start? You know, your experience in beauty. I'm like, well, ever since I can remember, I mean, I've seen it around the home, you know, so I kind of, I kind of don't know when that date was. So, uh, yeah, I completely understand. But I, I do want to, again, you know, you mentioned you started in the salon and you worked your way up. But then what was your first, like, make it moment in your kind of initial early days in this career? My make it moment was probably, in terms yeah. of recognisable career, was dyeing a wig for Mia Wachowska um, for the cover of Dazed. And I was only 18. Wow. I wasn't actually on the shoot. So I made a shoot for a stylist um, or Katie Shillingford. She's very cool. She was Gareth Pugh's muse, a really nice stylist. She's still working now. She's still doing amazing work. So I was, I had been coloring her hair and she wanted, and doing lots of crazy things with her hair. And she wanted something similar to the way I colored for this cover shoot. I think Alison, Mia Bukowska was in Alice in Wonderland at that time. I was so upset because it got shipped Ooh. off to LA. Right? <laughs> I didn't get to go on the shoot, but it, that was my first big fashion moment. And actually, do you know what? If, even getting those opportunities today are big fashion moments for me. So it, well, I went straight in and got a taste of um, that quite early on, which um, spoiled me a bit, I think. Because now I look back and I'm like, bloody hell, that was good at 18. I'm not brave like this now, actually. Well, I obviously am, but before I got my GCSE results, I had a hairdresser's journal. So that's, my mum used to get a subscription to it. So that's the, there's another one now. So you've got creative head and hairdresser's journal now, but back then you only had hairdresser's journals, the UK hairdressing industry magazine. And um, my mum had always said she wouldn't teach me to cut hair. So she taught me how to color hair. She wouldn't teach me how to cut because she used the wrong finger. So you have to use your ring finger to cut hair. She broke hers horse riding when she was little. So when she was training, she used this uh, this finger, and she would never teach me. She said I would learn the non the a non correct way. So um, she said I had to go and learn in London if I wanted to do it. So had this hairdresser's journal magazine. Got on the train and went to all the salons listed in this spread they had about top salons in London and just went in and asked for a job. I actually was given a job um, at a salon that's still going and very amazing today called, it's called Daniel Hersherson then, now it's called Hersherson's. Um, and I started there two weeks after. Um, that was my first proper hair moment, like big hair moment. That was big for me. Still big. <laughs> that's, Yeah. Oh, also, the way you did it, I think, is is really commendable, right? It's um, just knocking on the doors and, and seeing, and then also how you you first you, you find the smart way to find the places by the hairdresser journals, but then you ended up um, just kind of going around hustling and, and yeah. see, seeing where you can find a job. So, how long were you at Hairdressing then? I was there for two two years. So I did the ba- my basic training there and qualified there. And then went on to do session work. Um, and I worked with some people that had worked there. So they had 
some great session hairdressers working in there. Um, the late Lindell Mansfield is who I ended up assisting long term, and she was a legendary, is a legendary hairdresser in the industry. Um, and that was it, really. I didn't really look back much to salon life until we opened Bleach because I was I was set on the fashion the fashion world and how exciting it all seemed. My my ambition was always to go back to the Midlands and finish school, uh, to do my A levels um, and stuff as well. But I never, I didn't make it back. It was too exciting, London. <laughs> so when did um? So when you went to in East London, you set up the first makeshift fellow and you called it Bleach. When was that in your career compared to your time at Gucci and, you know, doing the styling? Bleach was developing in my kitchen in a flat that I was in the flat show with in Shoreditch. So it was a really exciting time. Lots was going on in fashion. Things like Boombox, the club night were happening around the corner. London was a real vibey place. Social media wasn't around yet. Oh, actually it was. But it was the MySpace time. It wasn't uh, It wasn't business, social media, stuff going on then. And actually hairdressing from where I was sat was boring. <laughs> so it was highlights. But I think anyone thinks that. I was a teenager, so it's that uh, rebelling thing. So I was a, you know, by 18, I'd already been a hairdresser for six years, learning the same kind of highlights and haircuts and blow dries. I was like, oh, this is boring. Um, I want to do something more fun, more colourful, more exciting, more 80s inspired, more sci-fi. Um, and there wasn't really anywhere to go and get that look. So I was experimenting a lot on people in my house. It wasn't called Bleach then. We actually called it Heartbreak Hair because my friends would all be going through difficult situations um, in relationships. They'd all come around and getting your hair bleached and dyed and cut takes like three or four hours. So you really, a one-on-one in somebody's house, you really learn about their heartbreak. And it was something that I was very interested in talking to people about. I had a hole in my ceiling. Um, and sometimes it would rain oh, into no. the room. And we had to have a bucket there. And we'd say oh. they're the tears of the house, the sad stories about your heartbreak. So we called, I called it heartbreak hair. But it wasn't a real name. Yeah, I was developing the bleach way of colouring for a few years in there and it just got too popular and I couldn't I couldn't keep up with the demand and I was finding it quite overwhelming my flatmates were getting really annoyed because I was having people around the whole time I could imagine and some hair everywhere hair everywhere colour everywhere difficult hours and um, I wasn't able it was always friends and it was always a bit like people I'd met going out or people I'd met on shoot so I didn't really charge anyone properly I'd ask them to bring around 20 quid or... <laughs> was it when... Was it like 50 quid and a bottle of wine yeah. or something? I, I Sometimes it was 20 quid. Is that what you did there? Yeah, it was 50 quid and a bo- bottle quid of wine. I love that. Sometimes 20, sometimes nothing. And I thought, oh God, I can't keep doing this. It's taking all my time and I'm not even making any money out of it. But I always... I'm trying to fix it now, but I always used to think, oh, you know, these favours and things come back in time. And they do. And I think that's some of Bleach's success actually but I wouldn't advocate that for other young people starting out in the industry who are broke <laughs> you should charge people for your time um but that was happening and then yeah, um value your time yeah. yeah value and charge people and don't be scared but I think also because I was experimenting I never I it wasn't really you know I was obviously qualified and have been working a long time but it wasn't something that I was like 
oh, this is worth hundreds of pounds. Because I was like, this is still, it's just me having fun. But that was going on for a few years. And then Bleach launched when I was 22. So about four years between that first day's moment and um, launching the first pop-up in Dalston. And that compared to working on big photo shoots. So I started working um, with Gucci. When was it? I think I was 27 or 20. No, maybe younger, 26. I'm trying to think. It was Alessandro McKellie's um, first season. But it wasn't his his first campaign. It was just, it was the first, one of the first lookbooks. Um, Because there's a few hairdressers that worked across Gucci. They were shooting so much, but actually stayed um, (coughs) working with that brand for seven years. And I had worked on almost one of the last of Alessandro's collections as well. So it was a good run, actually. It was a really fun, really fun time. But that kind of coincided with Bleach Bleach being fairly, well, I thought then, well, yeah, quite established by that point. Um, So at 22, when I was sick of working in my house, I had seen, I didn't know her, but I had seen this amazing nail bar open in Dalston called Wah Nails. And I'd just come back from Japan. I'd been on a shoot there just been there for the first time and spent a couple of weeks there with the team that were on the shoot and was really just wowed by the styles in Japan and Harajuku and the vibe there and the beauty aesthetic there was great. It was amazing. And me and my, my friends who were on the shoot who I did all, I did all their hair. So they all had crazy bleached hair. We got so much attention in the street. <laughs> it was like being celebrities because of our hair. <laughs> um, that I came back um, and saw this nail bar called Wah Nails had opened and it was um it was it felt like a Harajuku style nail bar where you could get nail art and you could um have really experimental things. There was young cool people working there and this amazing entrepreneur called Charmadine Reed had opened it. She's gone on to do lots of things, but at that point she was working in nails and she's still working in beauty. She's got a MBE now actually. And I, me and a friend of mine who was my co-founder um, had been looking for a space to open the salon. She's not, she wasn't a hairdresser, um, but we'd been looking for a space to open the salon um, and had failed, you know, trying to get a lease. We had no credit history, we had no money. Um, we had nothing apart from a few articles that had been written about the way I was colouring hair. Um, and I was kind of de- deflated by, I mean, we'd probably only been looking for two or three months, but in your early twenties, that's a lifetime. I'd ch- I would have changed my hair about 50,000 times in those, in those two or three months. So it felt like a lifetime. Um, and I, I felt like we were getting nowhere, but this place had opened up the road. I thought I'm just going to go in and, um, I hadn't even been in, but I just knew it was great. I was, it was intimidating. I was, I'm going to go in, I'm going to be, I'm going to just ask how they did it. So I went in and I said, well, I'm going to get my nails done. I had a really long, expensive service and Sharma Dean was there and I was like, I'm just going to, just going to try and start talking to her. She wasn't doing my nails. And we ended up having this big chat and I said, I was, I was talking to her about what I wanted to do and who I was and what was going on. And she was, I think she was seven or eight months pregnant at the time. And she just, out of 
on the spot said, do you want to have a space in the back of the shop? You can have two chairs, you can put a sink in. And I was like, are you joking? She's like, no, come with, the, come, come back tomorrow and my boyfriend can meet you because he does a bit of the business and he's a builder and bring your friend that you're doing a project with and um, we'll sort it out. And she, we just, we moved in there about a month after um, and she didn't charge us any rent for the first three or six months. It was great. Really amazing, actually. And I um, always credit her the success that we've had as a company because without that, I just don't think we would have got, I just don't think we could have got it started. And it was difficult to get to get things like grants or figure out that system as well because I know there's lots of things out there for entrepreneurs and also to test right like if this is something you you like doing like because it's very different an idea to reality of doing it in a natural physical service environment yeah um so it, it was a gift you know to to give you that confidence that you needed yeah definitely it was amazing and um we're still we're still good friends now and she's still doing amazing pioneering stuff she's left Dalston though so she left that space after a few years and we took over I think the nail industry is a really, yeah, a really hard one to crack in terms of service industry. It, it, and I think, I think especially in London, I feel like if you go to certain places where it's starting to pick up, like uh, I was recently in Saudi Arabia, and you know it, these kind of places that you could just copy and paste and put there, it would be a huge hit. But here, there's quite a lot of competition and places, yeah. Um, and then it's a price war of, and then loyalty. War. It gets very tough. And therefore, you have to offer multiple services, but then you limit the, you know, the the growth opportunity. It's a, it's a tough one, nails. I mean, and, I, and most of the nail places, like salons, I guess that I've had on, ended up pivoting to more product and yeah. now focusing on their product business than their service business yeah. because that's where the money and growth is. So it's hard, you know. Lots of people end up doing session nails, which, and I work with some amazing nail technicians. And there's an amazing salon called Amos, Amma the it, Salon. It's doing really well in Brixton. Yeah. Um, I don't know how she does it, actually. I'm also, how do you do that? <laughs> She's managing to make it work. But I think there is that, there's that um, growing market for like luxury nails that aren't in, you know, Knightsbridge areas, but it's taken long time because that was 13 years ago and we went into our so, so you, you when did your first um salon then like your first physical location start and then when did that kind of transition into products start happening so we took over that initial space in Dalston um three years later so that would have been 2013 Sharma wanted to move on she was moving to a space in Soho that same year we launched the product range. So in between having our pop-up in Wire Nails and the full salon, we actually um, had a pop-up in Topshop that became a permanent salon as well. Uh, do you remember Topshop back in the day? Yes. So yeah. it was a, In Oxford Street. Yeah, the big one, one in Oxford Street. Anyone. So they or... had lots of fashion and beauty concessions yeah. going on and they were still working a lot with the, the BFC and they were doing lots of it. Really fun collaborations. I think when we were first in there, they had done a line with Medium Kirchhoff, which was an iconic fashion brand, British fashion brand that doesn't isn't around anymore, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And it was a really exciting place to be. So we did a pop-up in there. We had a one-chair pop-up. 
I say we, it was me and one, <laughs> one um, stylist at that point still. We had one chair and oh my God, I did so many dip dyes on the first day. I think I tried to see how many I could do and dip dye was something we'd got a lot of press for straight away and we're really known for. So we had our one chair pop up in Topshop on that first day. I think we did about 25 or 30 dip dyes. You didn't have to allergy uh, test then. So now we don't do that because you have to come in uh, 48 hours before. But back then you could just take a walk in. So in to- we had this like queue in Topshop for these dip dyes and I was getting, I was bashing out, <laughs> doing them so often. I was like bashing out a dip dye in like 40 minutes or 30 minutes from start to finish, pink, like multicolored. And it was great fun actually. I, don't, I couldn't do it now. And we actually, they just kept making that space bigger. So then we, they gave us two chairs and then three chairs. And then I think two years in, we had six chairs in there and like three sinks. We had this whole corner of Topshop downstairs. And it was great. It was a really exciting place to be. Um, and we were in there for seven years. But at that same time we launched in Topshop, we had heard on the grapevine that Boots were very interested in meeting meeting us and talking about product range so within that first year of launching i ended up developing a range with boots in a license deal so that's where the range how the range began so everything was very (laughs) everything was very serendipitous and fortunate for the brand at the time lots of our opportunities came to us we didn't actually do anything that we do now. So now, I'm, I mean, the business is very different. We've launched into the US. We do a lot of um, marketing, promotion. Yeah. Still opportunistic, but, you know, having the biggest UK, UK retailer approach you. Yeah. I mean, they were doing that. It was just, it was just a really interesting time because they, they had launched this thing called the Boots Incubator, and they were looking for up-and-coming brands to look after. And the, the incubator didn't sure. continue. They launched three brands. We were one of them. That was it. They didn't do it again. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> we, that was it. Yeah, it, it kind of, I don't know if it worked out for them because taking something from concept is too, is quite risky. Um, they did They did well though because Bleach was a big success for them. Yeah. I mean, but every time, I guess it would be very time consuming. And also ultimately they... Um, it, I guess would they own the, they wouldn't own the IP of the brand for indefinite, right? It, it would be just an incubation. So. How kind of own the IP for the brand indefinitely, but that was our fault. Um, they don't know, uh, but that was yeah, that's, that's another good. that's a different podcast. <laughs> it's another podcast, <laughs> another <laughs> do's and don'ts, <laughs> a legal one. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, <laughs> no, no, we have a great. I love Boots. We have a great relationship with them. They're still our biggest yeah. um, UK retailer by far. I can. And uh, uh, an amazing, amazing place to have your brand. I'm sure Yeah, you've had many chats with them. Well, not yet. Yeah. We actually launched day one in the Boots in the UK. Um, but I think our offerings are a bit, yeah, but online only, uh, just because of our price point and prestige hairs wasn't yeah. right for in-store distribution. And then ultimately when we had other retailers like the Shelfages and, and then Sephora came to market, we've had to start um, realizing what retailer is better oh, suited for our price point than our customer. So we've had to migrate away from it. But um, it was our first ever conversation. And uh, 
yeah, it was um, initially it, it was a place I really wanted to go because you know as a as a consumer uh, who lived in London like mm-hmm. the whole life, and Boots is that place that you just like you go to, you know, it's got everything you need. I think it's difficult with the price point in the first of all more high end, yeah, offering. There's no price disruption, and actually, the UK is really wedded to that. Where you know you go to the US, and even in Target, you real ha- you really have a range. Of price points, it's quite yeah. It's 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 difficult, and I don't think it, it. You know, the places where you go for prestige beauty is quite limited in doors. Cool. I mean, you only have like a Harrods and one or you know one door. You have uh, Selfridges with three doors, so you don't get that widespread distribution throughout the UK. So prestige really sits purely online from a like a revenue perspective. Whereas in the US, you have you know hundreds of Sephora stores that, and Ulta stores that allow you to have a bit more of a prestige offering. So it, it is an interesting uh, landscape, but um, but we always, we kind of built the brand knowing US first because we also produce everything in the US. It's just somehow oh, we're you? in London. Um, yeah. So we kind of, we actually launched day one in Sephora. So we actually did wow. the similar thing with you. Like we incubated it with Sephora's US's team. Um, they don't own any equity or anything, but it's more like we're in the kitchen for about a year with them developing the products and, and uh oh, that's that amazing was, yeah, the day one yeah <laughs> although you know in hindsight i was like uh you know sometimes you want to ease into building a brand and do it step by step knowing day one you're going in ex- like hundreds of sephora stores um that wasn't easy but then you add on this complexity of it was COVID, so we were like okay great oh, no, i can't no. even go to america i can't even go visit my labs and after launch so it but it, it, it all ended up like in everything right you you need to have um confidence and everything happens for a reason and there's um there's always going to be pros and cons to every decision you just gotta focus on learning from the cons and you know using the pros to motivate you and just go ahead keep on going right yeah that's how you gotta do it so did you um, only what year did you launch three three years ago so 2020 yeah april 2020 it was an old i thought it was more it was much older yeah, than that, so, how established it is. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I'm an engineer by trade. My first ever job was actually at Veda in Estelada in, in the EMEA office. So I started to experience hair like from a corporate world there and it was an amazing experience. And and um, yeah, but I never imagined I would either like have my own hair brands when you start in this corporate world. And then kind of it naturally led itself to be created. And I was like, okay. But but I think it feels more, um, well, it feels bigger also because of the story being based on like Ayurveda, which is such a big uh, industry in a way, but hasn't yet penetrated UK, India, uh, out of India, you know. So I think yeah. that's what's been quite interesting is a lot of people can relate to these and now hair oiling and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's been a wild, wild journey, but I'm sure, um, yeah, like uh, offline, we'll, we'll talk more about it because I'm sure there's a lot of um, <laughs> stories to share and no, ways yeah. to help each other. But one thing I actually really wanted to ask you was sort of, um, uh, I know you have this like really cool area in your website, the Bleach Lab, and I just wanted to know like some tips and tricks you have on bleaching hair at home because obviously your products lend itself to be not just in a in a salad environment. Um, yeah, I think the main thing. 
it's a hard question to answer answer. and it's a whole whole podcast in a way (laughs) (laughs) the main thing as a consumer is you need to read the instructions now that sounds crazy because you would assume that somebody who's going to bleach their hair at home by themselves and never done it before for the first time would read the instructions and they don't at all so number one tip read the instructions on any box of anything <laughs> that you're using yeah and then you'll be able to do it but that that really is it like uh, uh, the main issue that we get on um our customer experience is that people have not followed the steps there's very easy steps to doing it so we also um use our have our instructions for different hair types and textures so whatever your hair type texture texture is etc there'll be specific instructions for you on how to use it youtube tiktok hair talk it's all there but i think people get excited they they think you know they've made that impulse decision to dye their hair radically because bleaching your hair is not it's either something i think if you're thinking about it forever and ever and ever and you're unsure, you're probably going to the salon or you've been bleaching your hair for a long time at home and you've gone through the steps. Otherwise, you're doing it fairly impulsively. So I think people get the box, they take it home, they're just like desperate to do it. They just whack it on. Sometimes people don't even mix the developer with the powder. Things like that. <laughs> more, so Way more often than you think. So top tips. Number one, read the instructions. Number two, wear something you don't mind getting destroyed because it's going to bleach your clothes or your towel or whatever. And then the only other thing is don't apply it from the roots. So the heat of your head speeds up the developer. So actually you end up with the top bit going, developing super quickly and the ends don't have that heat. So they're a bit slower. So the main thing we do, um, this is a, a technique that I think, because I'd never seen it before, that I think this, the bleach salons actually developed. And now it's, it's there's lots of little things with bleaching that we, we did first, but this was one of them. So back in the day, when I was still doing it in my house and in salon, you'd have to bleach someone's hair twice. So you'd put it all over and then you'd have the perfect colour and the ends would be um, darker. Then you'd reapply through the ends. Um now what we do and we tell people to do on the box kit is you apply the ends an inch away from the root first and then when this color is pretty much almost there you do the last 10-15 minutes on the root and perfect color you don't have to double process you don't have to do it again and then the other thing with home bleaching is so number one read the instructions number two you're going to ruin your clothes so wear something you don't mind getting ruined number three apply off the roots first. Number four, you always need a toner unless you want yellow hair. So hair is never going to lift to white blonde. It always has a layer of yellow, even if you're somebody like me who's a really light base. If I bleach my hair for two hours, it's still going to be yellow. So you need a toner to balance out the yellow. So it's more like colour. It's not more like painting colour spectrum. Yes. You need the opposite to counteract. So it's like light. So if you're yellow... Mm-hmm. You need a blue or a violet. If you're orange, you need a violet or a, a purple to really counteract those tones. Yeah. Sometimes you need a green as well. 
to take something out. So if you've got something super red, you want to be putting green in it. Um, And that's it, basically. And that's what a toner does. It helps mask those color pigments. But people often don't use a toner and they just they just keep bleaching. So they'll bleach their hair three times. And I see a lot, so much of it on TikTok. Someone's bleached their hair three or four times. It's still not white. And they're going again. They need a toner or a color shampoo or anything with a, with a violet or a blue pigment in it. It seems so basic to hairdressers, but it's, colors but it's not I, th- I think the best thing is is like um apart from following these these tips like websites like yours offer a lot of education and like um like i love your this hair transformation guide and so i think it's about finding the right resources as well from the experts themselves um knowing who you can trust in the in the industry either it's a brand it's a stylist salons you know experts just don't feel you're alone even if you do it at home like just be a bit patient and only take the steps once you've done all the steps that you mentioned, but also you have some support. Because I think uh, the worst thing you can imagine is doing it wrong. And then I've had so many times I've used my hair at home and it's damaged and I'm going to like cut it off. And and uh, you don't need to rush into it exactly, especially if it's an impulse thing, just breathe and do a bit more research before you do it, right? You shouldn't yeah. rush into it. Yeah, you shouldn't rush into it. And we have... Like you say, we have support online. So if you want to speak to anyone, so we're in the US now too. So if you want to speak to anyone, mostly at any point, you can get that advice. So obviously social media is how people talk to us. Alex, you know, I know you mentioned US and well, this leads me to an exciting question to talk about, I guess, 2024. So can you tell us some of the expansion plans and product expansion plans on the horizon for Bleach London? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because 24 is a big year for Bleach and it's our first move into the mainstream hair colour category, which is permanent hair dye. So bleaching and toning and direct dye actually only make up 6% of the global, actually UK market. I think it's less than the US. It's like 3% of the colour market. Um, Whereas permanent hair colour makes up 80 to 85% of the global market. And that's really dominated by the big players. So the L'Oreal's, your Clairol's, your Schwarzkopf, your um, Henkel. Um, and there's not many indie brands in that space. So we've been working on a vegan permanent hair dye for the last two or three years. Um, and we have an amazing formula. It's really groundbreaking. Our labs have been working on it for years and but working on perfecting yeah. The fact that it's vegan, because a lot of dyes have um, keratin in and other animal products, especially permanent dyes. So next year we're launching seven SKUs um, ranging from natural tones. So we've got two brown shades, we've got black, and then we've got two lifting colour tones. So we've got a bright red and a bright copper, and they lift hair so well without any bleach. And actually we... um, I'm very excited to be launching that next year and actually seeing, you know, we know that bleach exists very well in the hair space, um, in the experimental hair space in the UK and the US, but can it exist in the more mainstream hair space? And I hope so, because actually there's no, there's no um, permanent dye that's kind of marketed around young people and experimentation. It's kind of all about grey coverage. And actually what we see in the salon is lots of people 
want to experiment with their hair colour, but they're maybe not wanting to always bleach and, and direct dye or do a, a longer process. Um, but they still want to change slightly. Like they want to base shift their colour or they want to go a bright shade, but they don't want to use bleach on their hair. Um, and this is a range for them. And also we're trying to talk to them with the packaging, showing different hair types, textures, and the vegan elements were exciting. The shine's really exciting. The formulation is very yeah. cutting edge. So really excited about that. And it's launching next spring. I think it's first launch will be in Feb um, across the UK and US yeah. in most of our retailers. So that's really exciting for us. And we'll see, can, can a female-founded, independent hair colour brand compete? Very exciting. I hope so. I think so. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for you pun intended and uh, I am I am certain you know you've, you've built such an incredible um business here with the right I think mentality that um keeping that kind of head on in the US I think will be um a no-brainer as well when it comes to expansion uh but it, it is true uh I can t- I can talk offline about certain things in the US just to give you some tips oh and yeah tips. great it's slightly <laughs> different there especially salaries and just even like the basic thing where people can give you two weeks notice and bounce the next thing whereas here it's like a couple of months like there's a lot of stuff to to do a lot of differences but yeah yeah definitely it'd be great to get your insight on it so we launched our salon uh, we launched salon in la in 2021 i was um seven months pregnant i'm seven months pregnant now actually as well right now congratulations oh wow every time oh, i'm this amazing. pregnant i'm about we're about to launch something big <laughs> it doesn't it always i've heard this so many times and i'm like that's just life right it's like there's a reason for it somehow i don't know why you're probably like i don't know what the reason is but <laughs> yeah what's the reason it's but, like uh, me being like yeah. career first but i want a baby but the career yeah. okay we're gonna do something <laughs> on the same scale um, yeah, it. so we, we're oh. already in them. Um, we sell into CVS, Walmart, Kroger, Publix. So we have been in the US for, for a year, but still learning. It feels, I feel like two years into the UK. Well, actually, we were only in boots. We were only in boots and nowhere else until 2019. So we're kind of like a startup, but that had a real helping hand establishing the brand from a major a major retailer um yeah. but yeah the two years into the uk I, we, I was like well we kind of understand our customer we understand the market two years into the u.s i feel like i'm yeah. at nursery nursery school still <laughs> no, <laughs> trying to figure you. it out I, I, it's just every, you, every 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 year yeah every state is its own country you know you can't go to la or new york or texas and say oh i know i know who the u.s customer is or i know what the u.s gen z person thinks because it's just so vast which is also i guess this exciting thing because it keeps us on our toe and like, pivot and innovate by state but yeah it can be yeah. very expensive and time consuming and uh, daunting <laughs> yeah Considering those, and we uh, do you find this we've got like random random locations that will be like our top selling that sell so much bleach like there is one, um, I can't remember where it is, but it's near one of the biggest naval bases in the US, around a completely random place. 
that sells the most bleach kits. I don't think you can have bleached hair in the Navy either. So it's not them. It'll always surprise you. But then I think it's always, um, I, I sometimes, uh, sometimes this is do with the retailer doing something very different and innovative in that city. Um, so that store potentially has some kind of something going on or there's some amazing staffing or something. But also when it comes to the market, yeah, I, 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 there is the obvious, right? Like you have the, the, the key mark, the key states of New York, um, California, and then Miami and Texas is growing. But then after those four key states, there are so many that just surprise me. And then they kind of hover and change sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, but, but we'll definitely talk all about that. There's a lot to discuss on that side of the pond. <laughs> yeah, but, definitely. Um, I kind of wanted to go into fire on questions and then yeah. um, wrap up. But before I do, I have a, I have a desert island situation question, but I'm going to ask in a different way because um, <laughs> I'm curious. So you're going to a desert island. It doesn't really matter, you know, where we're going. We're going to have fun. And you have the opportunity to change your, your hair color with one of your bleach kits um, for the trip. What are you going to change your hair to? Which bleach kit are you going to use? It does depend on the island and who we. I want to be that True. day. I often go red or orange if I'm feeling like extroverted. Mm. I'll go pink if I'm feeling softer, but I still want a bit of attention and people to notice yeah. me. And I'll stay blonde like this if I'm a bit serious and pregnant. Um <laughs> Or want to be te- like we've been doing fundraising and bits and bobs like that at the moment. So now I'm in <laughs> blonde mode, mode. Yeah. Blonde not, mode. not red mode. Yeah, not red. No, red's but more like way, going to a party. I could say go show show your color and vibrancy by having your product be on display, right? When you go to the investor meeting, so you could also go for a bright color. My favorite bleach yeah. shade for me is Tangerine Dream, so it's like a fiery orange, Tangerine red Dream. color. That's what you're gonna. That's what I want to see you in on this island. That'll be fun, isn't it? I actually have a permanent on my route now, which is the blonde, and I kept it on for four Amazing. minutes. So I, I, I'm. It's called a base break, but because I leave it on for less time, I call it a base shift. So basically, um, I've got a few greys. So this is what our new range is really good at. So grey yeah. coverage is for somebody who's 100% grey. And that's what all these, most yeah. of these dyes on the market are for. And actually, in a professional salon, you wouldn't always go for a grey coverage. Sometimes you'd go for a permanent. No. That doesn't, it's got, it like masks, it's called grey masking. So this just masks a few yeah. of my greys, lifts my base a little bit, so it looks more sun, sun-kissed. And I've had... Yeah the instructions i leave it on for a few minutes so that's what i've got on right now it's our natural blonde shade feels very natural doesn't it yeah it's amazing yeah it's interesting it'll be not to come back to that range but i am very excited about it but be interesting to see how the consumer feels who isn't fully gray but has grays that's masking them versus using a dye that they've used before that completely covers them and also covers any reflection often covers all reflection in the hair or like color nuances but yeah, that's it. I'll, probably, I'll go Tangerine Dream because I assume I'm not going to be... Tangerine Dream. I've, I won't be pregnant on this island. Sounds fun. <laughs> you'll, be in the, you'll be in the extrovert mode on this island. Yeah, I'll be an extrovert. <laughs> it won't be fundraising. Maybe I'll go ice or red even if we want to go for it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, so fire out questions is the first 
thing that comes in your mind, I'm going to ask you four questions and then I'll lead you to it. So my first question is, what's another beauty brand in any vertical, doesn't have to be hair, that you're currently loving right now? Maybe Tanifols, it just launched yesterday. Uh-huh. Certified organic, made in the UK, skincare for sensitive skin. Very good. And is a male beauty as well. So I've got the new lip black that has pigment in it. It's got vitamin C and silver pigment. So you can really give your lips like hydration whilst giving them like a fun payoff as well. I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to see how Made Botanicals does because I just Very saw it yesterday. Very two different brands really cool. there. Yeah, you should get her on, I was saying. Uh, I need to get them both on. That would be a really good yeah. idea. Um, my next question is, what or where is your happy place? My sofa. So we, well, that's just that's one answer. To you. I know it's sad though, isn't it? No, but I feel you. I feel you. We've got a small lounge and a giant sofa. It basically takes up the whole room, but. Uh, you know, I'm going to accept that answer. That's, that's a good answer. Cause that, that's, I've never heard that one before. And I feel like I'm the only one who would agree. And I'm like, that is my happy place too. <laughs> um, my next question is, what is your hidden talent? Well, maybe not so hidden talent. I play the flute. No way. Cool. People are always surprised when they know that. Uh, how many years have you been, like, when, since a child, you've been playing flute? Since like, a child, like, and then the every, and yeah, I did all the grades, and then every few years I pick it up for a year intensely, and then I drop it, and then I pick it up oh, again. Cool. Um, but it used to be my party trick. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I had the violin and piano, did all the grades, and then... Uh, Piano is a great party trick, but I don't think everyone has that party trick. It's not as uncommon. Violin is a bit uh, like, you know, it's a bit annoying to take out. But flute would be cool. I wish I played the flute because that's a nice The flute's cool now, but the flute when I was at school was very uncool because, do you remember American Pie? Yep, I remember American Pie. I remember exactly what you went to say, yeah. So when I, and I was already good at the flute by this point. So I think when you get it out now, like, the whole gener- like my whole generation and probably the next one never played the flute, like any instrument but the flute. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at school, I used to walk around a bit and everyone shout, what do you do with that flute? Do you shove that flute up your thing? So it was... And you're like, great. Right. Yeah, cool. This is fun. But it's it's one of the most... It sounds so beautiful. So I feel yeah. like now it's... it's uh, you know, kids are silly back in the day. I mean, we listened I to kids back then, but now we're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm so jealous exactly. I didn't learn the flute. So um, yeah, you, you, did the right, you did the right thing. Thanks. Now, <laughs> and my, my last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur in the beauty space... What would Alex be doing? I would be some kind of scientist. So I wanted to do forensic science when I was at school and did very well with maths and physics and chemistry and biology. Yeah. So I, I wanted to do science. Oh, that's cool. But I think that's why I enjoy um, yeah. hair colouring so much and product I'd like to say, there's a lot of science. And um, uh, I mean, I completely understand because you're using... Not only data, science, um, and it's and it's a bit of the creativity as well. So it's probably marrying a lot of the passions into one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 a, I'm a scientist. Yeah, exactly. You're an engineer. I, I was an engineer. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, not a very good one, but but uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, I failed my second year. <laughs> well, Alex, it's been such a pleasure hearing uh, your journey and your story, and I'm so excited for next year. So I, I can't wait to see how everything develops and grows for your brand. But where can everyone continue to follow you and Bleach London? 
So you can follow me at Alex Brownsell on Instagram and you can follow Bleach at, at Bleach London on Instagram. And then there's links to our TikToks on there as well. We're also on YouTube, Bleach London. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Yep. I don't go on there very much, but... <laughs> Amazing. Well, I put all the links in the summary so people can just tap straight away. And um, we'll, 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 be, we'll be speaking very soon offline. So this is just a see you in a bit. But thank you for sharing everything. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.